Here in chapter four, you know, Paul, we've been through, you know, the whole, the whole letter now. And in chapter one, he begins with prayer, expressing his, his gratitude for their faith, for their spiritual growth, and also that they have been delivered from the domain of darkness and been transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved son. And so the outcome of that is, this. the result of it is, they should have a new kind of walk in life. Things are different now. I've shared with you many times, uh, when I trusted the Lord as my savior, I mean, I, I don't know much about the whole event other than the fact that on the way home uh, that day, I knew that I was a different person and I knew that I needed to change some things in my life. That's a, that's a new walk. It wasn't much, but I, I made a, a commitment, a promise to God that I would not take his name in vain anymore. And so I, now it was a little bit difficult. I think I counted five times when I slipped up because uh, I, I was keeping track, but uh, eventually it didn't take long and I got over it and uh, was able to honor the Lord that way. <clears throat> but it, it's a change in life, a change in the way you walk before the Lord. And so following that then, Paul enters into a discussion of the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was an important thing because having been delivered from the powers of darkness, they were well aware of what those powers were. Now they were in a new relationship with a new person, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul spends time to letting them know about the preeminence of Christ, how he is above all rule, all authorities, all powers. Nothing in the, the world of darkness has any supremeness over, over the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul then mentions about how he was commissioned by God as a minister of the gospel to preach this word and to make it fully known among the Gentiles. That was what Paul was called to do. The Gentiles, you know, when you compare the Gentiles with the Jews, the Jews knew about Yahweh. They knew about the one supreme God, creator of heaven and earth. And the scriptures in the Old Testament especially repeated over and over that he made the heavens, the earth, the seas, and all the things that are in them. But the Gentile world was largely in the dark. So when they trusted Christ, when they heard the gospel, and they were transferred into the kingdom of light and the, and, and the kingdom of God's son, things changed. That was a whole new thing for them. So they needed to know about the preeminence of Christ and the power that he held over all those rulers, authorities, principalities, dominions, everything. He had, you know, they had no power over the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul was commissioned to preach that. And uh, that Jesus was to be exalted over every world philosophy, that there's nothing in the world that he isn't over and supreme over. And so uh, 
continuing in the faith then he says if you continue in the faith that was so important if you've been transferred into the domain of God's love then continuing in that was going to result in something experiencing the hope of the glory and the hope of the glory you know the fuller expression of that is sharing in the coming rule of God's Son whatever that may entail one thing we know that it may entail is actual rulership ruling over cities in particular maybe ruling over areas of the world I don't know what all it entails and there may be other uh, responsibilities that are meted out to us but the point of it was in order for that to happen they had to continue in the faith if they didn't then they were jeopardizing their potential rule with Christ now um, consequently then because of this new relationship you know it's just like darkness overcoming light I've always been fascinated with the whole idea that if, if you know if you want light you have to have power you don't have to have power to create darkness if you come in here and you fix uh, or in your home and you flip the light switch from light and you turn the light off you don't have to do you don't have to go flip another switch for darkness to come in it's automatic it will do it every time and it's the same way in our Christian life if we let our guard down darkness will come in instantaneously and you don't have to do anything because it's there it's waiting to grab you it's waiting to put its tentacles around you and strangle your Christian walk and consequently we're going to learn here about the idea or the matter of being spiritually alert spiritually discerning all the time every day well one of those things that Paul dealt with was this legalistic attitude those who wanted to come into the church now see if you just imagine the purity of a local assembly believers They've all accepted Christ. They're all in one accord and so on. But now in comes those who want to corrupt the faith. And he mentions here specifically these legalistic things of certain days and festivals and the, you know all the things that um, they brought in from their old life. And so they wanted to mix in their old religions and all the things associated with it and incorporate them in with Christ and this new relationship that they were enjoying. Paul just says, hey, no way. That's not the way to live the Christian life. And so you need to be aware of that. He said, I told them no one has a right to judge you because when you receive Christ, you died to the elements of the world, the elemental spirits, Paul calls them, of the world. We're dead to those things. 
and not we're not to let them come in anymore. And and you know it's really interesting in association with that he mentions um, you know one of the two the two things remember we mentioned or that Paul said the first one was giving up things all the things related to sexual immorality and he names about five things there and then the next thing is the way you talk it's interesting to me that that was the first thing that I had to do was change the way I talked two areas that were extremely important to the Apostle Paul in developing our Christian walk and protecting it. And we all have to be careful of it. I, was over in, uh, I came across this verse in Proverbs uh, some time back where it talks about a soft tongue. You know, you can, you can exercise these muscles like me. You can harden them things and work on them and build them up and gain strength and actually do things that you couldn't do before. You can work on this thing all your life and it's still soft. It still has a, a propensity to speak evil things, ungracious things, unkind things, mean things. And so Paul's admonition is to guard those things, to put them off, he said, and make changes in your life in that area. Now, he tells us that um, having, and, and, and the reason why you can do that, by the way, is that you have been put to death with Christ and raised with him to heavenly places. So he says, that being so, set your mind and your heart on those things in heaven and then he goes on to finish up by saying Christian living begins in the home Paul didn't exhort them regarding living their Christian life in the marketplace or while they were traveling or any other such thing he went right straight to the home and he dealt with wives husbands, children bond servants and masters. He covered the whole thing. And he told them, you know, how they should be conducting themselves with one another. Well, having said that, we come to ch in chapter four and verse one, where he ended up with masters, beginning in verse two, here we have the final concluding remarks that Paul has for the church at Colossae. And so I find these things very interesting because, you know, if you have a changing of the guard, so to speak, somebody, something you're affiliated with, and I'm not suggesting anything here, but, you know, if, if I was to leave Community Baptist Church and I was giving my final sermon, you would wonder, well, what's he going to say? What are the last things that he's going to say? Well, that's what Paul's doing here. And so these are of the utmost importance to me. What things was Paul entertaining in his mind when he was finishing up, as it were, this letter? What did he want the Colossian believers to know above everything else? 
Well, in verse 2, he begins, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Now, the King James just has continue. Um, I don't think that that expresses the meaning of this Greek word adequately enough. If you look at the makeup of that word, uh, it has the word, uh, the, a word underlying that that means strong. In other words, be strong in prayer. And that's why some of the translations say continue steadfastly. Many of them say be devoted to prayer. But it carries the idea of making this preeminent, being strong in prayer. <clears throat> and he tells them to be uh, watchful. When you pray, be watchful. How? What are you being watchful in? What are you watching for? Well, the word here is really interesting. It means to stay awake. <laughs> I, well, I find that to be interesting. When I want to pray, you know, it doesn't take long. And my mind, and I'm praying, and man, all of a sudden, I'm over here. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, how did I get way over there? I was praying over the, about so-and-so. Uh, your mind begins to wander off. <clears throat> well, this word, which is, by the way, it's translated vigilant also over in 1 Peter 5.8. As a matter of fact, turn over there. Let's take a look at that. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. And one more page over here. All right. 1 Peter 5.8 says this. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Whoops. Did I say 1 Peter 5.8? Am I in 1 Peter 5.8? Yeah. I am. Well, I, oh, be I'm sorry. My translation says be watchful. I think that the King James says be vigilant. Yeah, okay, now I got it. I was in the right verse. Now, <clears throat> this is something interesting here. Over in Mark's Gospel in chapter 13, and let's turn over to that one. Mark's Gospel, chapter 13, and verse 34. Mark 13 and verse 34. He says there, it is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Now, this is a related word um, to our word watchful over here in Colossians. Now, I, I like what Marvin Vincent had to say about this. And I think King James uses the word porter. The newer translations put it as doorkeeper. Uh, <clears throat> he says here the picture in this word, now we're talking about the one back in uh, Mark 13, 
but then it carries over here to this uh, verse in Colossians. He says the picture in this word is that of a sleeping man rousing himself. The apostles are thus compared to doorkeepers and the night season is in keeping with the figure. In the temple, during the night, the captain of the temple made his rounds and the guards had to rise at his approach and salute him in a particular manner. Any guard found asleep on duty was beaten or <laughs> to wake him up, his garments were set on fire. That would, that would wake you up, wouldn't it? Trust me, having been in the military, if you know anything about guard duty, it is no fun. And you know, you're you're walking around this this fence in area, and I mean the temptation to sit down just for a couple of minutes of sleep is really strong. But believe me, they come check on you too, just like they did here. Find out if you're sleeping while you're supposed to be on duty. Well, that's the same thing Paul's saying over here concerning prayer to be watchful. Don't be caught sleeping. Over in Revelation chapter 16 and verse 15, the Lord said there, Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on. Same word, by the way. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on. Now that, to me, goes back to the image of setting his garments on fire. You know, don't be caught naked, in other words. Make sure you have your garments on. And how do you do that? Well, according to Paul here, it's being steadfast in prayer. Being diligent. And what does all that mean? Does it mean you've got to be on your knees all day, every day, praying? Well, obviously not. So what is he talking about here? He's talking about spiritual alertness. He's talking about daily activities. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we should be instantaneously ready and able to pray. Whatever the, the encounter might be, I mean, it might be just talking with a clerk at the checkout. It might be an instance of road rage. You know, it, it might be a co-worker. Who, I mean, I don't know. There are endless kinds of situations that we could find us in every day. And Paul's admonition to us is, whatever it may be, make sure you're in an attitude of prayer. Make sure that you can deal with the situation by praying. So you don't have to be bent down on your knees to pray. <clears throat> then he says, at the same time, pray also for us. You notice the little words, for us. Paul, and by the way, hopefully the next time we're going to get into some, to me, some fascinating things about Paul's co-workers. And we're going to see some of that in the final uh, words of Paul here in this letter. Uh, but we're going to delve into some other areas of it as well. <clears throat> but he says, pray for us, all the co-workers. And he says there that, God may open to us a door for the word 
to declare the mystery of Christ. We already said that Paul was a minister of the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul was looking for opportunities, doors to be opened. Now you remember Paul, where was Paul when this letter was written? He was in prison. Paul's opportunities were very limited. But his co-workers who were free and could visit Paul had opportunities to go out and minister the gospel. And Paul's asking for prayer for them. That as doors are open, they would have opportunity to declare the mystery of Christ, which for the Gentile was that they were now included in the gospel. The death and the burial, the resurrection and the ascension of Christ were now part of the gospel where Gentiles could receive Christ and be included in the body of faith. And so when he says that, he says, on account of which I am in prison. Well, preaching that gospel got Paul in prison. So he prays, though, that I, now you need to you see the change to Paul personally, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. You know, I find that so fascinating because if we look at all the letters that Paul wrote, I mean, he was very explicit about the gospel. But a great concern of his is when he was speaking to a Gentile that he could make the gospel clear to them. And of course, I know we have the same concerns. You know, when you share the gospel with somebody, you don't do it the same way that I would do it or those persons sitting next to you would do it. And so we need to be on the alert. He's talking about spiritual discernment so that we can preach the gospel effectively to that person in that situation. And then finally he tells him in verse five, walk. So we've had prayer. We've talked about watchfulness. He's, he's excuse me, he's talked about um, the declaration of the gospel sorry for that checking in my notes again he says walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time Walk in wisdom to outsiders. How we interact with them is a direct reflection on this church, to this whole body of believers. And so we need to take great care walking in wisdom, he says to them, and, and making the best use of the time. Now this one, can, to me, can be very convicting because when God gives you an opportunity, and you fail to take it up. You've missed it. It's gone. And you can't reclaim it. And I have, I've told you before, I have one of those instances on my heart right now. And every time I meet with that person, oh, I'm looking for an open door, an opportunity to speak the gospel. Hopefully, God will give me a second chance. Missed opportunities 
are really important. And that's why Paul says, make the best use of your time. Take advantage of it. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. And you find it fascinating that he, this is the last words, the final last words that Paul has for this church has to do with the way they talk. And he tells us that it's to be gracious, full of grace, seasoned with salt. Well, what, you know, turn back to chapter 3, and if you look at verse 8, Paul tells us what to get rid of. He says, get rid of um, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Then it tells us what kind of talk to put on, down in verse 12. He says to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. giving you my final words that I would be standing here telling you, hey guys, watch out how you talk. But that's what Paul did. He said, be careful what you have to say. He says, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Having that spiritual awareness, that spiritual discernment of every individual that you meet how you present the gospel to them because what you say to one person may not be the same as you would say to another person. It depends on the situation. And so he says to them, be careful how you, so that you may know how you ought to answer every person. You know, turn with me back to Ephesians and we're well aware of that. Ephesians is a sister book or sister epistle to Colossians. And if you look at the beginning in, in verse uh, 10, Paul tells us to the, and he, why he did it so extensively to the Ephesian church, I don't know, but he gives a fuller explanation of what this spiritual alertness is all about. And, the, and finally he says, beginning in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. If you look down in verse 13, he says, take up the whole armor of God. Putting it on, taking it up, being spiritually prepared, being spiritually alert. Why? Because of those powers of darkness that these believers had just been delivered from, both at Ephesus as well as at Colossae. They all have the same experience. And he, and, and he says so that you can, this, this uh, warfare has to do with <clears throat> authorities, rulers, cosmic powers, and this present darkness. Because it's around us everywhere we go. You know, I, sometimes I think of, you know, uh, was it Peanuts? You remember Pigpen? You know, when he walks around, he's got this little cloud around him. 
I kind of picture a Christian that way. You've got this aura of light around you because you've been delivered from darkness. You are now in light. So everywhere you go, you have this aura of light about you. But the darkness is right out there. And see, if you, if you use the wrong kind of speech, if you are practicing sexual immorality, what happens? The darkness moves in where the light was and you are encased in darkness and you've destroyed your testimony. You've ruined your walk. You no longer have an effective witness to those around you. And so that's why these things are so high on Paul's list to be careful to get keep away from those things. Don't watch so much stuff on TV or read so many books or whatever it is that you fill your mind with the things that have to do with darkness. And rather, expose yourself to the things that have to do with light. Now he goes on to tell them <clears throat> their goal. What was the goal? He says it's to stand firm. Where? In the shield of faith. And so though we have this light around us, the thing that will protect us from the darkness around us, Paul says, is the shield of faith. Make sure we have our faith active at every moment of the day, wherever we are. It's the only means of protection we have is the shield of faith. That's why I'm so, I've just been so enamored for years with that verse in Hebrews chapter one, where Paul says, these all died in faith. That's what he expects of us. If we're to have a successful, meaningful Christian life, is to be sure that we die in faith. And how do you do that? Take up the shield of faith and wear it. And it will protect you from the elements of darkness that are all around you. Stand firm in the faith. And he says, you know, when you stand firm in the faith, he says you can extinguish the flaming darts of the devil. You can put them out. I like that word. You can put them out. Destroy them. Render them ineffective so that you don't have to be oppressed by those kinds of things. When Paul said to pray for us um, that this door of faith would be open to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 14, verse 27, by the way, we probably ought to look at that one. Acts chapter 14, and verse 27. Yeah. There it says, <clears throat> well, if I go to Acts 14, that would help me a lot. I was in Acts 24. Verse 27. And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith 
to the Gentiles. They opened a door of faith. Paul's request for this door of faith to be opened was directly related to his, his, these privileges that we have as Christians, as believers, to enjoy this new life, this new walk that God has given to us. So what was most uppermost in Paul's mind? Your talk. He ends it up. He tells us about our walk, but he ends it with how we talk. That was uppermost in Paul's mind. What we are to say. How we, you know, how we walk, how we talk. Paul says is going to produce the kind of life that's going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. It will stand. And you don't have to fear. You don't have to be trembling knowing that you're going to face the Lord Jesus Christ. If, if you follow what Paul's saying here. You can go before his Bema seat with confidence. I, I, I want to be able to do that. I really do. I want to be able to do that with confidence and not with fear and trembling. You say, well, it makes me nervous. Well, make sure you're talking right. That's uppermost in Paul's mind. Going up the list, walk in wisdom. You know, be careful how you're, how you're walking. What about your prayer life? Are you being diligent? Are you being steadfast in prayer? These are all the things that Paul emphasized to the church at Colossae. And it's equally so here for you and me. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the privileges that we have to be Christians, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that having been put into that domain of light and the kingdom of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would really recognize and take to heart how serious it is to make sure that we have a, a diligent, faithful walk with you. A life filled with prayer and speech that is guarded and full of grace and seasoned with salt. Uplifting, encouraging, and satisfying. And all these things we know that encompass and entail the gospel. I pray that we would grow in these areas so that we can stand before you with confidence at your judgment seat. And it's in the name of the Lord Jesus we pray. Amen.